really excited today because at the men's retreat, we had a, a special guest speaker, a friend of mine um, named Jason Beal, who pastors at Coastline uh, Christian Fellowship over on the coast near Astoria. And, um, you know, I, I met him, I was thinking about it, I met him 11 years ago when I was running a high school camp on the coast. He had a, another group there that was part of a school of ministry and he came up to me from his group and said, man, if you'd like to come join our school and just um, just enjoy being with us, anytime you can come up, just come up, we'd love to have you. And that stuck with me for years. I hadn't seen him for years afterwards. And then we've kind of reconnected over um, the last few years. Uh, every May, we go to a leadership conference in Boise, and Jason has been one of the key speakers at this conference. And I'm just telling you, every time he has spoken, the Lord has impacted my life, and I could tell you what he's taught on almost every time I've heard him. And so, um, just excited for him to to fix, you know, help us fix our gaze on Jesus this morning. Jason, why don't you come on up, buddy? And uh, we're excited to have you. Can I pray for you before you? Oh, you, you can do your own. You do your own praying. You can pray for him. All right, Jesus, so thankful for uh, the family of faith that you have just saved us into through the cross, Lord. Just thank you for the work that you did through Jason at the men's retreat and, and all the different small groups that we broke into that, that the men just shared, just their deepest hearts and just their struggles and, and just how your word had convicted them and they longed for change this weekend, Lord. And just, we know that's your grace. We know that that was you working through Jason we would just pray that you would do that again here this morning, Lord. Would you, as we sang about being awakened, Lord, mm. we just would pray for an awakening in us this morning, that we would hear and be attentive to your words as dear children. Change us and make us and renew us and fill us afresh this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks, man. Yeah. Good morning, guys. Have you, have you guys ever stood up here on the stage? Um, there's like this little rectangular pad. Is Rory long-winded? Because you could stand here and preach for days. This is so, I may take this home with me. This is fantastic. What you need is a pad under your rear. And it's good to see you guys this morning. I had a great time up at the men's retreat. Um, just fun. Everybody's like, oh, it's, you know, hot and this and that. I'm like, this is amazing because on the coast, we're getting just now like, it's just cranking up into like the 70s and stuff. It's, uh, it's, I'm from Southern California originally, so it's kind of hard to get used to all the rain and stuff. But I, I do live over on the coast. We were sent out, my wife and my family and I, I had three kids, about 15 years ago uh, from Applegate Christian Fellowship. Um, and we were sent out to just kind of see if the Lord would do work. And, and a church got started, and we've been there ever since, just kind of plugging away. So it's been a blessing, and um, just stoked to come over here and See what the Lord's doing. This is cool. I love this little building you guys have, this little setup. It's awesome. Anyway, all I have to say is we're going to get in the Bible. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. Turn to um, Acts chapter 11. Acts 11. If it's okay with you, I don't know if you guys do this or not, but I would love to have us just all stand in a moment once you find Acts chapter 11. And what I'm going to do is just, uh, just read the passage we're going to look at kind of in one felt swoop, and then you can plop down again, and we'll kind of go back and dissect it a little bit. 
So this is Acts 11, picking it up in verse 19. And I'll read it out loud. You guys can follow along. It says this. And those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Verse 22. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and he saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord and to do it with steadfast purpose. Verse 24. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. And so Barnabas sent to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church, and he taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Lord, I thank you for this text. You know, uh, between you and me, Father, that this has been a very important passage. It's taught me a lot about church life. It's taught me a lot about what's important. And Lord, as I I share this morning, I know I'm not going to be sharing any like groundbreaking, thunderous new truth or anything like that. But I pray that we'd be reminded um, of things that we already know, but just need to hear again. And I pray that your word will come to life. And I pray for your Holy Spirit to be the teacher this morning. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Nice work. You can have a seat. As I mentioned in my prayer, this is one of those passages for me that is just like a, I mean, just a go-to passage that I, that I find myself circling back to a lot. Especially now, we're as our church right now, we're, we're studying through the Book of Acts. We we just felt led by the Lord to, um, to to hone in on Sunday mornings in the Book of Acts. We go through the Word on Thursday nights. We're in Isaiah, but several months ago, I was just like, you know, I just felt like we need to kind of revisit. Our church is 15 years old now. We've taught before through the book of Acts, but it's been a long time. And so I just felt like, man, we need to go through the book of Acts again. And part of the reason for that is the book of Acts, if you don't know, is a history book. It really connects the gospels to the epistles. Um, If we didn't have the book of Acts, we'd wonder, okay, Jesus raised from the dead, he resurrected, but how in the world did the church, you know, did Christianity get to Rome or to Ephesus or these other places? And so we have the book of Acts and it serves as kind of that bridge and it, it, sh- it shares with us really the history of the church, the history of Christianity. Um, but the cool thing about, you know, I'm a history buff. I do like history. But one of the things that is cool about the book of Acts, it's not mere history. In other words, there's a lot of history books out there. But what's awesome about Acts, it's inspired history. Amen? And so it's not just a bunch of facts and dates and this happened then and this happened there. That's there. But, but what's more important about the book of Acts is it not only shows the history of Christianity, but it also reveals the nature of Christianity. It, it serves this purpose of showing us models and really the way the church was meant to be. Does that make sense? And though things work differently and maybe look differently in 2014 as they did in the first century, the principles remain. 
And, and the heartbeat of what God intended the church to be remains. And so as a church, what we're doing back home is we're not only just kind of looking through to say, well, how did this happen? We're combing through the book of Acts saying, Lord, show us as a church in 2014 how we're supposed to be in our society, how we're supposed to act. Amen? So, so it, it serves as this wonderful um, framework for us to kind of know how to do church. It's important to me. Um, I, I think one of the reasons that the Lord prompted us to go into the book of Acts is because, not to sound too dramatic here, but the church is the only hope for humanity. No amens, not one. I got a silent amen. I saw the lips move. Nice work, thanks. I'm an amen guy, so like I'm fishing for him all the time. And if you don't feel like giving me an amen, just give me one. And then, you know, I'll take it on credit and then I'll give you a good point later. If You, you know, whatever. Anyways, the point I'm trying to make is the church really is the only hope for humanity because Jesus is the only hope for humanity. And we have the remedy for what the, I, I don't know about you guys, man, I saw that video about Iran. I'm like, come on, Rory, man, let's get to the Bible study. We don't have time for a video about Iran so far over there. I wasn't really thinking that, kind of, <laughs> a little bit. But my point is, is that, man, my heart is just stirred and broken, and I, re, I need to be remembered. Like, people need Jesus. People need Jesus. We're the church of Jesus Christ. We're the, what's, what's one of the ways that the Bible describes the, the, the church? The body of Christ. And what the book of Acts is, is the story of the continuation of all that Jesus began to do and to teach. But now he's doing it through the church, through us, via the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen? So we're his hands and feet to go out into the world. And so all that to say is, and that's kind of like a very, uh, I mean, I haven't gotten to the introduction. That's like the pre-introduction. So this is going to be a long sermon. But what time do I have till, bud? Perfect. We won't go that long. Um, but here's the point is that, um, you know, we look at the book of Acts and we're like, okay, Lord, how does this apply to our life? How do we, what do we gain from this? And, and in Acts chapter 11, what I love about the church at Antioch is the church at Antioch, maybe it's been a while since you read it. Um, the church of Antioch really stands out in the New Testament as probably, well, not even probably, like hands down, the most healthy and and good example of what a New Testament church is supposed to look like. Even more than the church in Jerusalem, even more than many of the other churches we read about, the church of Antioch is this incredibly healthy, good, well-functioning church. And, and what's, it's, it's there in Antioch. We read it you know, in the text. We're not going to get that far in, in our purposes this morning, but, but we read in the text there that it's in Antioch that that's where they first started calling disciples of Jesus Christians, which probably, by the way, was a derogatory term that was applied to these little Christs running around. But nonetheless, we, we would take it as a compliment, right? You ever been called a Jesus freak? You're like, thank you, I'm doing something right. You know, because that means Jesus is exuding from me. Well, Jesus was exuding from these people and they started calling them Christians. And, and it's in this church at Antioch that, man, they they're, were well taught by the Apostle Paul later on. They were a giving church. We'll see that they'll... Um, they'll actually collect funds and send it to the church in Jerusalem. They were like a cross-cultural church. They were a sending church, remember? Acts chapter 13, they're praying, seeking the Lord. Holy Spirit says, separate Saul and Barnabas for the work I've called them to. They're like the first church to send out missionaries. They were a spirit-led church, and the list goes on and on. So we look at this, this awesome church, and, and I want to look at kind of its genesis, its beginning. Because there's some keys here that I think are really, really helpful for us. So let's get into it. Uh, first of all, 
we see in verse 19, it says, Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. So here's what's going on. Just to kind of, if you're a timeline person, this may help you. It's been about 10 years since the day of Pentecost. The church has been an entity for about 10 years. After the church was birthed and there was all this growth, you guys remember what happened there in Acts chapter 6, right? The church was growing. They had some, some logistical problems, and that's what spurred the, the apostles to say, like, hey, choose out seven guys that we can appoint over this. We would call them the first what? Anybody remember? Deacons, right. These servants. And, and one of those deacons was a guy by the name of Stephen. And Stephen was a deacon handling some of the, like, the practical needs of the body, but he was also a guy that the Bible says was filled with the Holy Spirit, doing like miraculous things, convincing people. And so persuasive was he that the, the, the rulers, um, the, the head honchos there in Jerusalem, they were all upset with him. Long story short, he ends up getting arrested. He ends up getting taken in front of the very council that like condemned Jesus. I mean, like the Sadducees and, you know, the, this whole group, the Pharisees and um, the Sanhedrin, he's all there before them, and they're like, hey, this, this is the accusation against you. And, and he just tears off into this amazing like, defense of, of the faith. And it's, in fact, if you haven't read it in a while, it's chapter 7 of the book of Acts, and it's super long. He like, let me just tell you what I believe. In the beginning, I mean, he starts in like, with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and he goes on. And, and you can almost get the sense like they're tracking with him, they're tracking with him, until he gets to the part about Jesus being the Lord and the fact that they were responsible for killing the Messiah. At that point, the, the conversation, you know, it got a little heated in there. They didn't like that too much. And he said, you know, you guys are just a bunch of stiff-necked, rebellious people. You're always resisting the Holy Spirit. You're killed the prophets just like... and. You know, at that point, they drag him out of the city. If you guys remember what happens, they stone him to death. They literally stone him to death. You guys remember who was involved in that, ironically? A guy by the name of Saul, later we would call Paul. Saul's holding the coats of those, in a sense, consenting to the death of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. Well, you guys know what happens after that. Just that sparked something in, in Saul that just, he went crazy. He's like a madman. The, the, it says in... in um, in chapter 8, he just goes on this rampage against Christianity. If you read the original language, it's like a, a wild animal just like pursuing, you know, in a hunt. He was, he was out of his mind. He, he was determined to be the guy to stamp out Christianity. And so he's persecuting Christians, throwing them in jail, all this stuff. And because of that persecution, it scattered the sheep, if you would. It, it pushed people out of Jerusalem. They were, they were literally running for their lives. And some time has gone by since then. Some time has happened, but that's where we pick it up in verse 19. Those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose because of Stephen went as far as, as we said, um, Cyprus, uh, Phoenicia, and Antioch. So these disciples end up in Antioch. By the way, a little note, if you like these little nuances, I like this stuff. It says that they were scattered because of the persecution. And I was thinking about that, you know, from Satan's point of view, it, he probably looked at it like a wolf running into a flock. You, you call it a flock, right? Flock of sheep, is that right? So I just had a, we don't do, I don't do flocks on the coast. They, so anyway, um, a flock of sheep, you know, you can just see like this mad dog or this wolf running into a flock of sheep and they're like, 
you know, whatever sheep do. And they're like running, you know, scared. And, and, and maybe from the outside looking in, that's what it looked like. Oh, those poor Christians, you know, and they're being attacked by the, the wolf Paul and scattering the sheep. Oh no, what's going to happen? But the interesting thing is the word scattered there is the same word in the Greek that you would use for the word to scatter seed. It means to sow seed, right? And in essence, when he scattered the flock, all it did was scatter the word of God. All it did, and that's what persecution does, historically doesn't, in the church. When the church has come against, that's when oftentimes it grows the most. It was like a, a, a wind blowing a fire. I mean, that's an appropriate analogy probably. Um, and, and, and all these little sparks flying over and starting other fires. That's what happened with the church. It's interesting. Jesus said in Acts 1.8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, um, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. But honestly, up until this point, that hadn't happened. They were just like, let's just all gather in Jerusalem. And it's as if they weren't going out, so maybe it took a little persecution to get them out of their comfort zone. But all that to say is they scatter all the way up to Antioch. And that's where we pick up the story. Antioch, interesting place. Don't want to bore you with it. But it's about 300 miles. You know, if you're looking at a map, it's about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. It's a long trek. You know, they didn't have their cars or whatever. They're walking or, you know, riding a donkey or something. I don't know. It took a while for them to get up there. But they just kind of end up 300 miles north in Antioch. Interesting place. It was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. It had a population of over a half a million people. It was kind of this melting pot of culture, kind of the New York City of the day. It was kind of a port town had all these various cultures kind of converging, a lot of money, a lot of trade. They, they worshiped the goddess Daphne, which was, I mean, you know, from the little bit of research I've done, was a very provocative, you know, illicit style of worship, if you want to call it that, a lot of temple prostitutes and so on. And, and so it was just kind of a crazy culture, kind of a, a nuts place. Um, there's, they just did an archaeological dig up there, and they, they, they recently, I don't know if you read this, they recently found from Antioch an ancient bumper sticker that says, what happens in Antioch stays, I'm just kidding, that's totally not true. You guys are like, really? Seriously? No, it's not true. But all that to say is, it was a crazy place, and these guys end up there, and notice what happens. It says, they get up there, and they were speaking the word to no one except the Jews. Now, that sounds like very racist to us, but you have to remember, the church was Jewish, they weren't even sure Gentile dogs like us could get saved yet, you know. The, the church was Jewish. And so they, their kind of MO was that they would just go find other Jews and they would kind of fill them in on the rest of the story that Jesus is the Messiah. And that was kind of what was going on. So they're speaking the word to the Jews. But this is cool. Check this out. Verse 20. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, guys probably Jews, but not from Jerusalem, not totally bent in, in, in Judaism in that way. When coming to Antioch, they spoke to the Hellenists, that is the Greek-speaking non-Jews, like kind of just the pagan people of the day, the normal folks. They were like, you know, we're not going to limit the message to just the Jewish people, but they started just talking about Jesus to everybody. In fact, notice what it says. They were preaching the Lord Jesus. And I love this. Again, I like all the little nuances, but, but I love that, you know, the church of Jesus Christ is is counterculture in so many ways. It breaks down racial barriers. It breaks down culture barriers. Don't you love that about, about the church? I've had the opportunity to, to travel a lot of places in the world, in Africa and Mos, you know, Russia and just all over the place. 
And it's fascinating because you can meet somebody that has a completely different financial status as you, different color skin, different language, different culture. But if you have Jesus, you have everything in common. It's awesome. It's like, it's what the world is searching for. And yet in Christ, we have this amazing unity. All that to say is that they just start telling everybody about Jesus. They get there and they're just telling everybody about Christ. Notice two things. It says they were speaking the word and they were preaching Jesus. Some people think like, oh, I could never be an evangelist or tell. Listen, out of the overflow of their heart, they just rolled up on scene and they were just talking about the word of God and as they were rubbing elbows with people, telling people about Jesus. And it says the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number. How great? I don't know. But a great number of people turned to the Lord, believed in Christ. And so what happens is like this radical revival starts happening up in Antioch. It's amazing. We'll see kind of what happens from there in a minute. But I was thinking about this this morning. I, I love this. I love this. As I said earlier, this is probably the healthiest church that we see in the New Testament. It's a church that is born out of evangelism. Guys just going up there and telling them about Christ. Did you notice what didn't happen? And I'm not saying this is wrong. I'm not saying that, you know, it can't happen either way, but... This wasn't like a committee got together in Jerusalem and were like, where could we plant a church? Let's get a, let's get a, a focus committee together. Let's do the demographic studies. These guys were running for their lives. They're like, we're going to die in Jerusalem. Let's get out of here. They end up in Antioch. And as the natural overflow of just people that were in love with Jesus, they start telling other people about Jesus. They're not named. There's no apostles. There's no missionaries. There's no pastors. They're just normal Christians who are doing the normal Christian thing, which is to tell other people about Jesus and God blesses it. And all of a sudden they've got a revival on their hands and they don't know what to do with it. Like people are getting saved left and right. God's just doing an awesome work. And I say that to just encourage you. Sometimes we have this mentality that like missionaries or pastors or worship leaders, they're like a different class of Christian, like super Christians. It's not true. There's no such thing as super Christian. Amen? There's just Christians. And the normal Christian life is a person that's filled with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit and that God can use at any given moment to share the gospel or do a miracle or do whatever because it's the same Holy Spirit that lives in Paul and Peter that lives in you and that lives in me. Amen? And so what's radical to me, if you think about it, here's these normal Joe Blow, everyday normal Christian men and women running for their lives, not on a missionary trip, running for their lives, end up in Antioch, and they just start talking about Jesus because they're filled with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And God just uses them, and a church starts. Amazing. I love it. So all that to say is that, you know what, the Lord can use you too. The Lord wants to use you. And you don't have to be super educated. You don't have to have all the titles behind your name. Or God can just use normal, everyday people. That is his M.O. Amen? Okay, so pretty weak amen. I'll get on to the next point. I'm just kidding. Um, so they were preaching Jesus. And then it says in verse 21, the hand of the Lord was with them. A great number believed and turned to the Lord. Now check this out. Verse 22. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. So they sent Barnabas to Antioch. This is fascinating to me. Some time goes by and like, you know, they don't have the internet and, you know, all this stuff, but, but word travels. And there's this booming, like, Jesus movement happening up in Antioch in this totally pagan, crazy, nuts place. People are getting saved, coming to faith in Christ. 
So much so that, that news trickles down back to the mothership, you know, back to Jerusalem. And the apostles and everybody, they're like, man, what's going on? We keep hearing these reports about the Lord's doing something up in Antioch. So they descend, decide, excuse me, to send a guy to go kind of, I don't know, check it out. Just get, hey, is this valid? What's happening? And they send a guy by the name of Barnabas. I love this. You guys know this probably, but you guys know what Barnabas means? Son of encouragement. So I love it. And by the way, it wasn't his name. His name was like Joseph, Joe. The, the apostles nicknamed him. Barnabas. That wasn't even his real name, but they were just around this guy and they're like, you know what? You're a Barnabas. You're an encourager. And I love the fact that they're like, you know what? This new work is happening up there. Let's send the encourager. Let's send Barnabas up there. Praise God for Barnabases in the church. Amen. I need, a, I need Barnabases in my life. I need men and women that will encourage me in my walk with the Lord. And that's what this guy does. He heads up there and, and they, I love this. They send him 300 miles <laughs> to go encourage this little church. Go check it out. And that's a lot of miles in that day. And so they sent him up there. And I like this, and we'll slow down a bit here. It says, when he came and he saw the grace of God, he was glad. Pause there for a second. He rolls into town. I don't know. We don't have a lot of details. You can maybe use your imagination a little bit. Um, he rolls into town and he begins to meet these disciples, go to their church services or whatever. And it says he sees the grace of God. How do you see the grace of God, by the way? What is grace? That unmerited favor, kindness of, of Jesus, right? We're saved by grace, right? We're sanctified by grace. Our whole walk with Christ is a grace walk. And, and the idea there is when he comes in, he sees these Antiochians, you know, he rolls into Antioch and he's like probably thinking, you know, there's the statue of Daphne. This place is crazy. It's a pagan you know, worldly, fleshy place. And then he sees these people that were previously a part of that pagan worldly culture, but now they love Jesus. And he's just seeing these transformed lives. And, and he's just like, oh man, he's just excited. He's stoked. He's like, man, this is so awesome to see the grace of God. I love to see the grace of God. We're all grace cases, aren't we? Every single one of us, we're saved by grace. And guys, when you see the transformative work of God's grace in a person's life, it, it, it's exciting. I, I was just thinking about this. We have this girl in our church named Gabby. And uh, I met her about two years ago. And here's how I met her. Uh, we have a Thursday night dinner and, and Bible study every, every week. And I got there early as I usually do. And I pulled up into the parking lot and I see this girl. Like I'd never seen her before. She's probably 17, 18 years old. She's all dressed in black. She's smoking a cigarette right in front of the church doors. And, and I come to find out later, she's like doing all this, trying to get kicked out of church, just trying to get a reaction from these Christians, you know, you know, these religious people. So I just kind of roll up to her. I'm like, hey, what's going on? You know, and um, introduce myself, blah, blah, blah. We're talking. Well, she ends up staying for the service. Um, I mean, this girl, I, I wish you could meet her, but, but she had such darkness in her eyes. She was so lost. I mean, I, I've heard her testimony now several times, and I, I, it's, it's almost not right to even talk about some of the things that this girl's been through and experienced, and it's sad. And she's just full of darkness, tatted all up. Not that tattoos are bad. I, anyway, that's another story. But she's just all tatted up, you know, and not nice tattoos, you know, and just like, just like smells like smoke and just, just, just a crazy girl, right? Well, she stays for service, and... You know, she's just kind of obnoxious, to be honest with you. 
And she starts coming back to service, and pretty soon she like runs into an old teacher uh, from our school or from her old school that goes to our church, and they begin to talk. Well, the bottom line is, she gives her life to Jesus. And I'll tell you something: if you were to put like the before and after shots of Gabby side by side, you would say those are two different people. She's the same person, but she's not the same person. It, it, one of the, I've, I've said this to her on many occasions. I said, you had such darkness in your eyes when you showed up. And now that you know Christ, there, you are alive. And she goes, I know, right? I mean, she's just like stoked. There is a life and a joy that's bubbling out of her. And, she, and I love her because she's so like raw and honest. She's like, I totally screwed up this weekend. I got stoned and this and that. I'm like, hey, let's pray about it. You know, and she's just like, she's just raw, you know, still like struggles with a lot of stuff. But she just loves Jesus. And, and, and I, you see the grace of God, and only Jesus can do that stuff. Amen? Like, we need to, I, this is a little, an aside maybe, but I think it's good for us to remember not to write people off. Because Jesus changed you, and Jesus changed me. Unless we forget, we were lost, and it was only by the, mere, the grace of God that we're saved. Amen? And so he, that's kind of what, you know, Barnabas rolls up into town and he's just seeing these transformed people, not perfect people, still kind of screwed up a little bit, but, but loving Jesus and, and just, just, you know, full of life and he's glad. And so check this out. This is having seen the grace of God, he was glad. Now look at this next phrase. He exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Let that marinate for a second. He saw the grace of God. He's witnessing what Jesus is doing in the lives of these people. And it says he exhorted them. I'll read that again. He exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Let's break that phrase apart. First of all, it says he exhorted them. Do you guys know what an exhortation is? An exhortation isn't like, hey, man, you come on, you can do it. It's more like, get your mind in the game, you know? My son, my oldest son used to play football all the time, and I just have this, this, this picture in my head of his coach grabbing him by the face mask. Stay in the pocket! Get out there! You know, it's like, that's what an exhortation is. It's like a coach, like, being very direct, and, and it's like a passionate plea to action, like, do this and do it now, kind of a thing. And we're told that, that Barnabas exhorted them. Now, what's interesting is the, the word there in the original is, it, it's in the present imperative. In other words, he continued to exhort them. It wasn't that they had a one meeting and he just said it one time. Evidently, he, that was his message the whole time that he was in Antioch. He was like a broken record. All he would say is, remain faithful to Jesus with purpose of heart. Remain faithful to Jesus with purpose of heart. He kept exhorting them. I can, I can picture it in my mind. You know, it was a Sunday morning. Guest speaker, Barnabas from Jerusalem, come on up. And his message was, Stick to Jesus. You know, adhere to the idea of being faithful to Jesus. The, the word there is the same word that, that John uses in John 15. It means to abide, to stay close to. King James says, cling to Jesus, right? That was his message. Maybe on the Sunday morning study and the, the midweek study or at the, the potluck or the barbecue, every time there was an audience, it seems like Barnabas' message was, hey, with, with purpose of heart, Abide in Jesus. Stay close to Jesus. Stay close to Jesus. And, and I was thinking about that. That's fascinating to me that of all the messages that Barnabas could have brought from the head church from Jerusalem, that that was his one message. 
Now, now, don't get me wrong. I mean, we already read it. Later, he'll go get Paul, which is ironic, isn't it? Because Paul was the reason, like, they were in Antioch. Anyways, um, time has gone by. Paul's now saved. He goes and gets Paul and brings it back, and, and they, they get grounded in the word, and there's doctrine, and there's teaching, and all that is absolutely in its place and necessary. But for Barnabas, as he sees this new work that the Lord's doing, he feels burdened to give one message, and that message is, with purpose of heart, stay close to Jesus. Stay close to Jesus. I guess what's fascinating to me about that is that keep in mind what these people are, have just come out of, who they are. They're, they're just worldly, pagan, some of them, men and women who... Many of them probably had zero background in Judaism. They were just living in the world and fleshy and all that. And they're brand new to Christianity. And you would think you'd be like, okay, we're going to do a 10 lesson thing on why you shouldn't get drunk and do this or go see temple prostitutes or do that. We're going to give all, this is what you need to start doing. This is what you need to stop doing. But Barnabas kind of bypasses all that. And this was his message. Just stay as close as you can to Jesus with all of your heart. And then the next time he taught, Guys, let me encourage you, stay as close as you can to Jesus with all of your heart. You know why I think he did that? Because I think Barnabas was smart. That's why I think he did that. Because I think Barnabas knew something. That what they needed more than anything was not 10 lessons on this and five lessons on that. What they needed to be encouraged in as the spirit led Barnabas was just stay as close as you can to Jesus. Here's why. When you just stay as close as you can to Jesus, all that stuff that is good to know and, and stop doing and start doing, if you just stay close to Jesus, it has a way of just kind of naturally happening, doesn't it? There's, there's just, in other words, when you stay close to Christ, you abide in Christ. What was the whole point of John 15? Abide in me, I abide in you, that you might bear what? Fruit. And, and I believe Barnabas knew something. Yeah, there's a lot of issues in your life. And yeah, there's a lot of stuff that needs to be cut out and there's a lot of stuff that needs to be put in. But the key is just stay as close as you can to Jesus. Why? Because the natural byproduct of a person who stays as close as they can to Jesus is good fruit. Bad fruit falls off. Good fruit starts to grow. It takes time. Yep. But you know what? Over time, you just begin to be more like Jesus. Amen. And I love that because, guys, I we forget that sometimes. You know what? The key is just stay close to Jesus. I'm not saying we shouldn't do Bible studies and, and we shouldn't you know, try to change and sanctification and all that, but the key is not us trying to change us or start employing a bunch of rules. The key is, by the way, whether you're a new Christian or an old Christian, the key is abide as close as you can with Jesus and over time, you will begin to produce the fruit of Jesus in your life. Amen? So he just kept it super simple. Guys, stay tight with Jesus. Hang out with Jesus. I believe he said that because he knew that that's what would happen. The sanctification process would happen. And, and maybe I could be so bold to say this. Um, I've, been in, I've been in the church for a lot of years. I got saved when I was 10. I'm older than that now. And I've been in the church for decades at this point. And I've seen a lot. I, I'm not saying I've seen everything, but I've seen a lot. And something that can happen to you and, and it can happen to me is if we're not careful, we can become pretty religious. Even in our non-denominational, untraditionalism, we can get pretty traditional. And we can get pretty, well, religious. And we can forget sometimes that people are at different places in their walk with Christ. 
And if we're not careful, we can, we can begin to do the stuff that we used to hate. And we can look at the outward appearance and we can think, why is she wearing that? Man, if she really loved Christ, she wouldn't be wearing that to church. Or why does, you know, you know what I'm saying? I can't believe he still smokes cigarettes. Well, you know what? Maybe the Lord's working that out of him, but you know, it takes some time. And I just think we need to extend to each other a lot of grace and a lot of, I'm not saying play it soft with, with outward sin or anything like that. I just think that we need to remember this thing takes time. And the Lord takes time to produce fruit in us. Amen? I was reminded of that Thursday night. We had, uh, we had a sunny day in Astoria. It was pretty cool when that happens. And uh, it was warm. And we had our Thursday night Bible study. And there was this girl in the back row, and she's wearing a bikini, like, to church. <laughs> you know, there was kind of a shirt over it. But, and, and I was thinking to myself, this is interesting. And, and she comes up to me at the, the, at the end of the service, and she just proceeded to tell me how everything I preached was wrong and that she's not a believer, and, that, and she just kind of tried to tear apart everything. And it just reminded me, like, I never know who's in church. I don't know. That person may not even be a Christian, and I'm judging them on what they're wearing, right? We need to remember, listen, we got to be gracious with people. God's, God's faithful to produce the, the fruit, and we just need to give people, I think, I hope I'm not overstepping my bounds, but I don't mean this about you. I just mean that this more in general I, I'm reminded, I gotta give people grace and a little bit of space and let the Lord work things out, amen? The other reason I think Barney was, Barnabas was smart about, about, about giving him just Jesus was because he knew that the sanctification process would take place as they just stayed close to Christ. But I think there's something else that, that is true about that, and it's this. Jesus is not only our sanctification, he's our satisfaction. He's our joy. And that, I don't care how old you are in Christ. I've known Jesus for 30 years, and I keep needing to be reminded of this, that Jesus is enough in my life. He is the great satisfaction of my soul. And maybe, maybe, and I, I don't want to speak to what isn't in the word, but maybe, you know, part of his strategy was stay close to Jesus, stay close to Jesus, stay close to Jesus, because maybe he knew, man, they're going to feel the temptation to go back into the world, and they're going to look at what's shiny and what's new. And do you guys ever feel that? Do you guys live in the same world I live in? Man, it can be so tempting to think like, man, maybe I should pursue that or if I just had that thing or that promotion or that new house or that new car. Nothing wrong with houses, nothing wrong with cars in and of themselves. But if we begin to think that those are the things that produce satisfaction, real satisfaction in our souls, we will perpetually be disappointed. And I think from, again, my small sample size of being a Christian and a pastor, I think there's a lot of disillusioned, disappointed, joyless Christians because we are looking to other people and other things to satisfy us, and they can't. Because we're looking to them or those things to do something in us that those things cannot ever produce. Because only Jesus can produce ultimate satisfaction in our souls. Amen? And, 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 the, and if you said a hearty amen, it's because you've discovered that. You've discovered, you've had, here's what happens. Oh, I just got to have that thing. Then you get the thing, and then you realize... Dang it, now I need to like maintain that thing. Or it just didn't satisfy me like I thought it would. And maybe it's a different thing or a different hobby or whatever. Um, but when you put Jesus as your satisfaction, then those things, they kind of play their role. And, and you can enjoy them more then than you could before. Because you're not looking to them to satisfy the deepest part of your soul. Jesus and Jesus alone can do that. Amen? Not a spouse, not your kids, not your car not your career, none of those things 
can ultimately fulfill you or satisfy you in this life. And you will drive yourself nuts, brother and sister, if you keep looking to those things to do that. It's only Jesus. And once you discover that Jesus is enough, it don't matter what kind of car you drive or what house you live in or what you do for a living. It's all just who cares? Because my identity is Jesus, not what car I drive. My identity is Jesus, not what job I work. Amen? So all that to say is he said, man, with purpose of heart, and I'll get to that in a second, he exhorted them, kept exhorting them, stay as close as you can to Jesus. Stay as close as you can to Jesus. And lastly, in that phrase, notice what it says. Let me read it again. He exhorted them perpetually, right, to remain faithful, abide in the Lord. And this is, I think, an operative phrase. With steadfast purpose. With steadfast purpose. In other words, what, was, what does that mean? It means he was saying, look, stay as close as you can to Jesus and you have to be intentional about it. You have to do it on purpose. You have to be steadfast, steady, faithful, day in, day out. Why would Barnabas exhort them? We, we know why he would exhort them to stay close to Jesus, but why does he add that second part of, of with steadfast purpose? The only reason he would add that on is because the reality is, is we all agree, oh yeah, stay close to Jesus. And it's easy to do for like a day. But I don't know about you guys, everything in this world around me and even within me is constantly trying to draw me away from a close, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. I use this analogy a lot. I love to surf, and, and there's, a, there's a lot of good surf on the Oregon coast, but it's way different than surfing in California. Surfing on the Oregon coast, there's a lot of water. I mean, it moves around. There's tides, and there's currents, and it's crazy. And I'm thinking in my mind of this one spot that I love to surf in, and it's great when you, you get there and you sit in the spot, and, 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 and you, that's kind of where the wave breaks, and that's where you want to get into it. But, but there's something else that's going on that you don't even know what's going on. And that's this thing called a current, right? And so if you just sit on your board waiting for the next set to come and you're not paying attention, you'll look around at some point and go like, where am I? Like, I'm a half a mile down the beach. Um, so you have to kind of fixate. You're like, okay, there's a house and there's a big tree and I'm just going to triangulate myself. I'm gonna and what happens is as the current moves, you're like, oh, no, you don't. You know, and then, uh, oh, no, you don't. And, and you have to be purposeful about staying in that position because to drift from that position, guess what you have to do? Nothing. You'll just naturally drift from that position. And guys, that's what happens in our walk with Christ. You know what you have to do to drift far from Jesus? Nothing. Because there's a current in this world and there's a current in our flesh that naturally wants to pull you away from intimate, close walk with Jesus. And so guess what we have to do? We have to be intentional. We have to do this on purpose. I like to think about it this way. None of us are gonna accidentally trip and fall into a close relationship with Christ. You're not gonna accidentally grow in the word. You're not gonna accidentally grow in intimate, just like you're not gonna accidentally have a really close, intimate relationship with your spouse, right? You guys, anybody married? Guess what? You actually have to talk to your spouse like more than once a day. You have to talk and communicate and ask questions and listen, guys, and listen, <laughs> and listen, and listen, and talk, and listen, and, and you have to spend time together. And you know what? For my wife and I, we have three teenage, uh, I have a 20-year-old, an 18-year-old, and a 16-year-old, and they're all going in different directions, and life's crazy, and we're in the ministry, and it's busy. So guess what? We have to be like, on Friday, you and me, we're going on a date, Right? 
And I block it out of my calendar, and I do it intentionally. Why? Because I know everything will, just, will, will get busy. Something will come up, a counseling appointment. The kids will do that. And I have to be like, no, I'm going on a date with my wife, right? We have to do that, in a sense, with Jesus. We have, you have to have a relationship with him on purpose <laughs> because the natural tendency will pull you away. Let me give you four things. They're not new, but they're tried and true, and they're biblical. Four ways to help you stay in a close relationship with Jesus. And it's found in Acts 2.42. And I saw that um, on, your, on your announcement thing. This is a key, key verse in my life, Acts 2.42. What did the, what did they, excuse me, getting too fast. What did the early church do in Acts 2.42? With steadfast purpose, they continued in the apostles' doctrine, which we, we would call the word of God, right? They were committed to the word of God in large gatherings, in small gatherings, personally. However, but they were committed to reading, studying, knowing the Bible. Guys, know the word of God. Be committed. The word of God is the primary way that God talks and teaches his people. And if you don't read the word of God, you are stunting your own growth and you are sabotaging your own relationship with Christ. We need the word of God on a daily basis. Amen? Secondly, they, they, they continued steadfast in fellowship. What does that mean? They were intentional. They got together with other Christians on purpose and did life together and encouraged one another in the body of Christ. So important in our walk with Jesus. Thirdly, what does it say? They were committed to prayer. That's like, I wonder how many pr times prayer ends up in like the application of a sermon. But, but there it is again. They, they, they were committed to prayer. Prayer is our lifeline to Jesus, isn't it? It's how we communicate. And the Bible says we should pray without ceasing, which I think means pray without ceasing, which means it's like breathing. It's like, you know, you're driving down the road, you're praying. My kids, like, it's like a joke now. I, I like to pray out loud because it helps me just think through. And you get in the habit of that. Sometimes you realize you're doing it in awkward places. You know, like we'll be in public or I'll be in the bathroom and by myself and my wife will be like, hey, who are you talking to in there, huh? You know, just kind of messing with me. But praying all the time. And I think a lot of us are pretty good at doing that, praying while we're driving, praying while we're working, praying while we're doing whatever. But then I believe there needs to be times where we're doing nothing else but praying where we have to discipline ourselves to turn off our phones and turn off the TV and go and find like Jesus in a quiet place and a quiet time and have a quiet heart before God and just cultivate our prayer time. And then it goes on to say that they also were committed to communion. And all of these are a sermon in and of themselves, but I think it's so important as a church to always be taking communion. Because communion takes us back to the cross. Communion shows us that when Jesus died for us, you know, our sins are forgiven and all that goes with that. All that to say, there's four very practical ways. How do I stay close to Jesus? Okay, I agree with you. Stay close to Jesus. How does that work? Man, be in the word. Pray. Hang out with other believers. Focus on Jesus through communion. And listen, do it consistently. I'll end on this. I am convinced that... The difference between Christians who make it, if I can say it in, that, in those terms, for the long haul and grow and are effective for the kingdom versus ones that kind of fizzle out or go up and down, in my opinion, you can take it or leave it. I think it's a matter of who's just consistent, who keeps coming, who keeps it. I'm not saying perfect. I'm just saying consistent. 
who, who develops a time in the word. Maybe not perfectly, but then when you fall off, you get back in. And year in and year out and decade in and decade out, you show me a man, woman, boy, or girl who is committed, dedicated, purposeful about being in the word and being in prayer and being in fellowship and taking communion and, and, and sticking close to Jesus intentionally. And I'll show you a healthy Christian. You show me any Christian that doesn't have any of those elements happening in their life, and I'll show you a Christian who's probably not real close with Christ and is not real healthy. Amen? So my exhortation to you, if I could be so bold, and I'm no Barnabas, and, and you know, it wasn't that long of a drive to get here. It's not like I'm coming from Jerusalem. I'm not trying to put myself in that spot, but if I could be so bold, could I just maybe exhort you this morning? I'll tell you what, I rolled up in, into Primeville. Rory showed, showed me the place. And I, I was kind of like Barnabas, like just rejoicing at the grace of God, at the men's retreat, seeing what God's doing in some of the men in your church, like rejoicing in that. Could I be so bold to exhort you guys that with steadfast purpose, stay as close as you can to Jesus. He, he is your sanctification. He is your satisfaction. He is everything. You're not gonna, you're not gonna accidentally stay close to him. You've got to put some effort out, some energy. But man, that's what we're called to do. Amen? That's all I got. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Lord, for um, even in my own heart, just thinking while, while I'm preaching this out, Lord, and, and going through the word, I'm thinking in my own life, this is right. <laughs> I just, I need more Jesus in my life. I want to stay closer to you, Lord. I pray for these awesome brothers and sisters of mine in Christ. Thank you for the work you're doing here in Primeville. And God, I pray that if, they, if these guys had a reputation, it, it would be, oh man, those people, they're close to Jesus. They know Jesus. Father, I pray that you would, in your perfect time, Lord Jesus, sanctify us by your grace. Just weed out the stuff that needs to go and add the stuff that needs to be there. Lord, I pray you would be not in theory, but in reality, our satisfaction where we draw our sense of life and joy. And I pray, God, that, that we would be able to, with purpose, Lord, draw close to you daily through the word, prayer, fellowship, all those things we talked about. But at the end of the day, Lord, we just wanna be really close to you. We love you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.